You are tuning into Immuno-Oncology Talks, the podcast about immunotherapy treatments for cancer and hematological malignancies. Welcome to our Immuno-Oncology Podcast. I'm Ariste Fernandez from the Oncology Medical Department of Sanofi North Europe, and I'm here today with my colleague Mikael Tiensu. We're here today with our guest, Professor Inge-Marie Svane from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, with whom we will discuss today's topic, TIL-based adoptive cellular therapy. Professor Svane, who has over 25 years of research experience in cancer immunology and immunotherapy, has also built up the Translational Center of Cancer Immunotherapy, where she works into a leading European center. Starting from the top to align with our listeners, how would you define tumor infiltrating lymphocytes or TILs that we might refer to them from now on? Yeah, as you said, the TIL stands for tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, and it definitely belongs to the immunotherapies that we tend to use in, in cancer therapy. It's a very personalized therapy because this is a one product per patient base. So it means that you can only prepare cells from one patient and give it back to the same patient. So a very kind of personalized therapy. And if, if you ask the email, they would say that it belongs to, to the category of ATMPs, which stands for Advanced Therapeutic Medical Products. So it's definitely not off-the-shelf medication. So looking at the T cells then as lymphocytes, would you say that they, they differ in profile if they are in the peripheral tissue or in the tumor tissue? So do they change in any way in the tumor microenvironment? Yeah, so definitely. So the thoughts behind using is specifically the cells and not the T cells from peripheral blood is based on the, the fact that they have been homing to the tumor uh, microenvironment. So it means that they must have been attracted in some way. So the thought were that they were going there because they could recognize some tumor-specific antigens uh, in the same way as uh, T-cells also search for like viral infections uh, for cells infected with a virus presenting viral antigens on the surface. You could say that the T-cells they search our body to search for different or foreign cells uh, harboring, for example, tumor antigens. So, so definitely we believe that when we isolate the T-cells from the tumor tissue, there's a high concentration of tumor-reactive T-cells. So why would you say that TIL-based adoptive cellular therapy or ACT uh, is an interesting approach for treating tumors? And follow-up then, uh, how would you in very general to describe it. I know you, you touched upon it a bit, but... Uh... Yeah, so so why they are interesting is uh, also because this is an, uh, another uh, mode of action. If you compare them with the other kind of uh, immunotherapies, especially the checkpoint inhibitors, which are far more broadly uh, used and implemented in, in oncology, it's a completely different mode of action here. So here you already have selected the, the tumor reactive immune cells. While you, when you work with the checkpoint inhibitors, you try to do it in the body of the patient. So you try to release the activity in the, in the immune system on the spot, you could say, in the patient. Uh, so a different mode of action as compared to other uh, IOs. And what we see is also that TILs can really be effective in, in cancer patients who have failed treatment with checkpoint inhibitors. So it, it seems to be an additional tool in the toolbox for, for treatment of our cancer patients. And then when you ask for, for the description, uh, how I would describe it in, yeah, in general terms, I, I think, yes, it's, it's 
more or less what I already told you, that it's like taking advantage of T cells who had already recognized something in the tumor microenvironment. Uh, so they're kind of selected for tumor recognition. The issue is, on the other hand, that when they uh, infiltrate the tumor microenvironment, there's a lot of suppressive mechanisms uh, having the, the, the power in, in this uh, uh, environment, meaning that when the, the T cells enter, they tend to be suppressed. And that's also why it's uh, an important part of this treatment that you release them from this suppression. So you kind of remove them from the tumor microenvironment in order to get them more activated again. So um, what would you say with a bit tumors that are better suited for, for this approach? And in the end, could there also be applied for hematological malignancies? Yeah, I mean, definitely, this is a, a, a major tool for treatment of metastatic melanoma. This is where we have had the very early development, but this is also where we have seen the, the highest efficacy uh, in the therapeutic setting. So definitely melanoma, we are on the road to approval of, uh, I guess, of, of the TIL therapy. But there are also many other kinds of cancers where you also see the tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. Uh, so it's actually very few cancers where you find no TILs. So you can work with, I, I guess, with most of the solid cancers, but it's not as easy as with the melanomas. And that can be for many reasons, especially the number of uh, potential targets in the tumor, meaning the antigens, and that could be shared or, or that could be also new antigens like ep epitopes from mutational uh, antigens. In regard to hematological malignancies, I see an issue there because you don't normally have like tumor infiltrating cells if you have leukemia, but of course there's lymphoma. Uh, but, but here you have the challenge that the tumor cells are very much alike, the, the T cells that you would like to expand. So the, the methods that you use for expansion of the, of the cells uh, in preparation of the, of the therapeutic product would probably also expand the tumor cells as well. What would you say are the main requirements when it comes to manufacturing and administration of TILs for adoptive transfer? In regard to the manufacturing, you really need a, a setup with a, a lab facility where you have a GMP approved clean rooms and, and, and GMP is like an approval of the manufacturing procedure. So it's good manufacturing practice, you could say. And that is a, a kind of approval from the authorities that you need, that everything is in place for this kind of very sterile and, and, and qualified, validated procedures. Um, so you also need the method because this is actually the... The, the way that cells work, it's dependent on how you produce them. So you need a validated production method as well. And by that, I mean that you, you need to be quite sure that you do it in the same way all the times. And also that you have shown that when you use this method for expansion and activation of the cells, you actually reach a, a certain level of uh, numbers of cells, but also of activity of the T cells. And for that, you will need a, a special trained uh, technical personnel. When you then have the product and you need your clinical staff as well to be trained, it's a very intensive uh, treatment uh, procedure and they need to be trained in taking care of patients who are lymphopenic uh, and also in, in the risk of infections and with all the different side effects to, to the treatment. Um, so uh, you will also need to be in a hospital where you have an intensive care unit, not that you will need it most of the times, but for some of the patients, it might be that you need support from uh, ICU for, for a certain uh, number of days during the treatment. And I mean, very important is also the surgeons, of course, because they need 
to help you out uh, from the very beginning to to uh, resect the tumor lesion that you are basing you are basing your production on. So yeah, you mentioned the resection. How how are the T cells extracted from the patients? And how could you mention something about along this process? Yes. Yeah. So, so what you need is to have a, a, a an accessible tumor lesion, and that means it's very difficult. For example, if the patient only have deep systemic uh, metastasis, like deep in the liver or deep in the lung, so you need to be able to, uh, res to resect the, this viable tumor lesion in a, a in a very safe way for the patients. Um, and then it's it's immediately transferred to to the uh, GMP clean rooms, uh, and then you start this, this procedure where you kind of cut it in pieces. You can also dissect it, uh, in some of the procedures, but the issue is to to get it into small pieces, the tumor lesions, uh, and then treat it with this interleukin uh, two, which make the T cells growing out of the coming out of the tumor lesion and start growing and expanding. And this first period where you initially make the initial expansion of the T cells, it might last like two to four weeks. And at that certain time point, when you reach like 50 million T cells, you can cryopreserve them. And you can actually cryopreserve them for a very long period and still have really good T cells for the treatment. But when you start the last, what we call the rapid expansion, it's a fixed period of two weeks where you simply make this really push on the T cells so they expand like my, maybe like 5,000 times to a, reach a level of around 100 billion cells uh, and highly activated by, by use of feeder cells and also uh, antibodies against CD3 and interleukin-2. And then you harvest them. And it's also a very complex procedure because you have a lot of cells. You can actually see them. You have so many cells in your product that is like milky, uh, the infusion product. So in, in total, you, I would say that it can last like four to six weeks to be ready with the treatment for the patient. Are there different protocols in activating the T cells and how critical has it been shown to be? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a classical protocol, which is the one was, which was developed at NCI in Washington by Rosenberg's group. And that is uh, mainly what we are doing also. Sometimes some groups use different kind of um, flasks for the expansion and also they can use uh, like a bioreactor which we do and it's also possible to use different kind of growth factors and cytokines during the expansion but there is a really classical procedure that most of us use but I expect that also some of the companies now entering the, the area they have also been doing more development work and maybe optimizing some of the steps uh, so that they can do a more rapid expansion of the of the T cells, uh, which lasts uh, shorter than than uh, the classical one. And it is definitely important. What is uh, really a black black box is how many of the tumor reactive T cells are you able to expand? You will also have like, always have this kind of lymphocytes, which just as passengers, which just by coincidence were in the tumor or maybe in a blood vessel in the tumor, and you might also expand those. So will they take over and they are not is tumor specific or will you be able to really expand the tumor specific T cells? That's very important. So in that term, what are the main limitations and challenges of using autologous TILs then? Yeah, there's of course a, a lot of different challenges and one of them first limitation was what I mentioned that uh, are you are you able to find the tumor lesion to resect that's step one of course 
Then you have other limitations in regard to which kind of patient could uh, be offered the treatment. If we start to focus on only melanoma patients, metastatic melanoma patients, they, it's still a treatment with a very high intensity. So you need to look into the age of the patient as well. And normally we do not treat patients above 75. We have actually increased this limit from 70 to 75. And they need to have really fit organ function because it's a, it's a very yeah, intensive uh, treatment for the body and, and for the organs. So there's a lot of treatment related toxicity and, and some of, of them are by intent, of course. Um, and then the other, I mean, main challenge that we have is like for other kind of immunotherapies that we do also see resistance, of course, treatment resistance. So if we look into the resistance a bit more, uh, could you elaborate a bit on the innate resistance uh, mechanisms that, uh, that uh, one can see? Yeah, so I mean, the, the patient could be like primary resistance to the treatment, meaning that you will never have a chance uh, for an efficacy in this patient. And that could be like for different reasons. It could be for due to a low proportion of of tumor-specific uh, uh, cells. Uh, it could also be that the cells that we extract are really so dysfunctional and, and exhausted that we are actually not able to, to move them back into an activated and, and potent uh, uh, phase. Um, and, and the low proportion of tumor infiltrating cells might be because they lack like homing receptors and, and the tumor might not be able to, to attract them in the, in the right way. And as I also mentioned previously, when they reach this tumor microenvironment, it's a, there's a presence of very many different kinds of immune suppressive cells and, and factors in this uh, microenvironment, which, which might uh, completely suppress the T cell function as well. So um, what about acquired resistance then to TIL-based ACT? How is it developed and how common is it? Yeah, so um, I mean, the, the efficacy rate is around um, like 40, 45% of the patient have response uh, to in, in metastatic melanoma. So I guess uh, the rest of them are kind of primary resistant, but within the responders, it's, uh, it's definitely the experience that it's uh, mainly the patients who reach the complete response, which also have durable responses. And that is around 20% uh, of the patients. Uh, so that means that 20 to 25% of the patients who had an initial response, they will eventually progress despite of the T cell therapy. And that could be for different reasons. So we have also been looking into this uh, phenomenon and, uh, and most of it is probably based on immunology again. And that's because, I mean, the, we kind of select the tumor cells are, that are resistant to our treatments, of course, and that could be due to loss of target antigens that the antigen that the T cells recognize, it could also be the whole, uh, I mean, uh, antigen presenting machinery in the tumor cells can have uh, difficulties. So they are not able to kind of release and, and uh, identify the, the antigen on the surface so that the T cells can interact with it. And then it can be because they, uh, the, the T cells uh, engage with other kind of uh, immune checkpoints or immune checkpoint uh, receptors, um, so they are inhibited in the patients. So what, what we know is that the persistence of the infused T cells is very important for durable efficacy. What about the safety profile of therapies involving TILs? What are the most common ones and the most severe ones? 
So detail therapy is definitely a very intensive therapy and the patients are hospitalized the um, median 21 of uh, 26 days. So it's around three weeks in hospital. Some of the, um, of the side effects is uh, by intent, of course, uh, because we need it for efficacy of the therapy. But uh, all the patients experience grade three and four toxicity during this period when they are hospitalized, uh, mainly because of the high dose chemotherapy that we give to the patient for the first seven days in hospital. And this kind of uh, high-dose chemotherapy is the same that is used in hematology for stem cell transplantation. So it's meant to, to, to in, induce a, a bone marrow suppression uh, uh, on, this, on the patient. And, and the reason for, for doing this in connection with the T-cell therapy is because we want to kind of get rid of all the irrelevant immune cells and uh, among them also the suppressive immune cells so that we have a very, a very good space for the T cells that we infuse during therapy. But when we suppress a bone marrow in the patients, they are of course uh, in risk of, of serious, serious infections as well. And as we know from other kinds of chemotherapies, we, the patient can have a lot of other symptoms like nausea and diarrhea. So then on a, a, after this first week of, of, of chemotherapy, we infuse the teals uh, and we do that uh, intravenously over like a time of like 30 minutes or so. And uh, for the first couple of hours after that, the, the patient can experience fever and chills and maybe also dyspnea, but th those are not really the, the most severe symptoms during the treatment. But immediately after we start this high dose treatment with interleukin-2 and interleukin-2 is a kind of a, a really really strong cytokine who, which release symptoms in the body of the patients like if they are in a severe infection. So they get high fever, they can get organ dysfunction and capillary leak syndromes and so on. So this period is very intensive, but normally it's only lasting a couple of days because we then stop the interleukin-2 because the patient can't tolerate any more doses. And then they need to recover and they do that uh, during the next uh, week or so. What approaches are being considered then to potentially overcome or minimize these side effects? Yeah, for example, several groups, including mine, has been looking into the dosing of interleukin-2. Is it really necessary to use this very high kind of doses? And we have also make, made small pilot studies with lower doses and other regimens of using the IL-2. And it, it, it seems to be possible still to, to have this... Um, efficacy of the of the infused cells. Presently, we have in, uh, implemented a kind of really strict stopping rules, meaning that we actually only give a fewer doses of interleukin-2, and, and that means that the patient will need to tolerate less toxicity. We can't really get rid of the high-dose chemotherapy because it is, uh, it's been shown several times that this is needed for the efficacy of the T cells. So when and for which indications do you think we will see TIL-based ACT first in the clinic? Uh, I know melanoma is one. Are there any other tumors that you foresee in the near future? Yeah, so definitely melanoma will, I think it will be very soon that we see it. I probably first uh, in US it will be an approval from FDA, but hopefully also in, in Europe. Uh, so yeah, that will be definitely the first one. But there has also been some early indications of efficacy in other cancer types, like, for example, lung cancer. We have also seen early data on cervical 
uh, metastatic cervical cancer, and also a, a very, um, I mean, early sign of efficacy in breast cancer. Why, the reason why I'm more reluctant in the breast cancer is because it's, it's, it was a really, really difficult way they made the cells. So I think the road to, to clinical implementation of that specific method is really long. But definitely we have seen early indications of efficacy in other cancer types, but I guess that will, it will take years before it's really ready for, for implementation as a standard of care. And when you mention breast cancer, that would be triple negative breast cancer, I suppose. Actually, or? not necessarily. Mm -hmm. the, the study that they were, were published also from uh, from NCI in Washington was uh, not on, on triple negative. This is a subgroup of breast cancer patients where we do see the efficacy of, of checkpoint inhibitors. But for, for the T-cell therapy, it appears that it's, it's more important that they really have the mutational burden and have epitopes, uh, tumor antigens, which could be targeted uh, by the T-cells. Are there any good biomarkers available to predict the treatment response? Yeah, there are tumor markers, uh, for example. Uh, we, have, uh, we have seen so many of them are really overlapping with what we know about the biomarkers for efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors. So that's like tumor mutational burden and also the intertumoral inflammation. You can see correlation with efficacy and that actually kind of, uh, you could say, you could speculate how that would be in the, this way because, I mean, when we treat patients who are refractory to checkpoint inhibitors, we can still see that it matters whether they have a high mutational burden and, and they have um, inflammation markers in the tumor microenvironment. Um, but also it has been shown for, for the product, for the therapeutic the product, uh, that uh, there's a different parameters, which also is important for, for efficacy. And that's uh, certainly the number of uh, CD8 cytotoxic T cells in the product and also the tumor reactivity of these T cells. And there are different kinds of activation markers on these T cells, which also correlate with response. And we have seen that the post-infusion persistence of the T cells is important. So, yeah, a lot of different uh, of biomarkers, but not really validated yet. What would be required to identify better or new biomarkers? So we, we haven't really figured out how to use the knowledge that we have on the different uh, markers. And I think that's not solely for T-cell therapy, that's actually for immune oncology, right? That we have very few biomarkers implemented in, in the, in the uh, clinical daily work. So it's probably because it's very difficult to, to make these validations. It's expensive and you need much more research, larger material, many more patients to really validate them. And, and also because it, it's kind of, you need some a marker which is really black or white uh, for, for selection of the patients. It's not that you can use a marker which just say, tells you you have a lower chance of efficacy because then the patient wants it anyway, of course. Even if you lower the efficacy chance from 40 to, to, to 20 percent, it might be it might be useful for the patient. Um, so we, we we need some more uh, certain markers on really to 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 select the patients away, which will never benefit. I think that's the most important uh, patient to 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 figure out how to to find. And if you ask me which kind of market would that be, I think we, we will probably take advantage here also of the different kind of sequencing technologies, which can really look into both, I mean, the, the DNA, the RNA, and, and also the, the proteins as well. So it, I, I would guess that we will, in the future, we will have a kind of profile also for the T-cell therapy. 
have these treatment been combined with any other type of treatment or are there any combinations you, you think are particularly interesting and that we might see in the future? Yeah, so there has been some early trials where the T-cell therapy has been uh, combined with checkpoint inhibitors and that's also very obvious, you could say. It's obvious because the mode of actions are different, so they might have a synergy. And it's also obvious because we, we know from evaluation of the cells that we infuse that they express many of these uh, checkpoint uh, receptors, which um, means that they could be inhibited uh, by the tumor-like environment. For example, we have shown that they have high expression of PD-1. So it makes sense to try to, to, to treat them, uh, the patients together with a PD-1 antibody. Uh, for example, and there are also early data on that, but not any data which really indicate that the, that this will be significantly more effective. It's too early to say. I think what we will see in the future is combinations, uh, combinations with other immune therapies, but maybe also with different kind of standard of care. It might be that we can use take advantage of some of the standard chemotherapies used in the patient uh, that we want to treat with cells but also that we make uh, genetic modifications, for example, of the cells that we use to increase their potency. And that could be introducing T-cell receptors for specific antigens, but it could also be introducing cytokines, making them more potent or receptors, making them homing better to the tumor microenvironment. So the possibilities are enormous when you look into the genetic modification area. So uh, as a final question to this episode, uh, I was wondering a bit how many centers that are actually using this therapy and are able to use this therapy in the clinic? So at the moment, I mean, the tissue therapy is uh, solely experimental, of course. And in, in Europe, we are only like a, a small handful of centers which are using the cell therapy in, in the setting of clinical trials. Uh, if you look at the world, I would guess you can say twice as many sites, uh, but very few, again, if you think that this is globally. There's a couple of companies in US and also in, one in the UK that I know of, which is also trying to commercialize this uh, kind of treatment, um, even though it's, it's difficult, but they also are running, of course, clinical trials, uh, but then the clinical centers are not making the production themselves, it's made centralized. And I think in the beginning, also in Europe, it will be kind of centralized production. It might be that we have one center, the country or for the Scandinavian region, I don't know, but, uh, but still it needs to be centralized in the beginning because you need this really trained and experienced personnel, both for the production and for the treatment. Thank you very much, Inge-Marie. So uh, reaching to the end of this episode of the Immune Oncology Talks from Sanofi, I would like to thank Professor Svana for being here with us today and for sharing her expertise in TIL-based immunotherapy. Please stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Immuno-Oncology Talks, the podcast about immunotherapy treatments for cancer and hematological malignancies.